is it, is it running? Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to say that um, I'm going to start and I'm going to try to finish on time so that we can all get to Eastside Academy. Where is everybody? Is there food out there? Hopefully there's food out there. Okay, good. Okay. So I'm just going to start with a little review about Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar was the king from Babylon who went over to Israel and Judah. He fought with them. He destroyed the temple. He takes them back into exile to Babylon. And so, and then we learned that he um, had a dream and nobody could interpret it, but Daniel did interpret it. And the dream was about a big statue. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do then? He built a statue because he had this big dream of a statue. And apparently he built several huge, many ton statues. And then he says, well, I just love my statue so much. Let's have everybody worship it. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't worship it. So they get thrown into the fiery furnace and he sees somebody else. Okay, so that's what we have so far about Nebuchadnezzar. Just a little background because we're going to have another story about him today. But I wanted to tell you that all we're going to talk about today is pride. Our own pride and the pride of these leaders that are in the stories today. And so um, when I have to teach about pride, it's, it seems like it always comes to me. It's, it's, everybody has something else, but pride always comes to me. So here we go again. Um, and when Christina lectures, she has no problem revealing her failures. And we all love her because she just doesn't have any pride about when she fails. I, on the other hand, hate it when I fail. And so the very first Women at the Well that we had this year, Christina comes and she says, well, Scott asked me, is Robin going to get fussed today? And I said, oh, that hurts my pride. Everybody thinks I get fussed, and I do get fussed on Women at the Well days. Well, it's my pride. I want everything to go well. So now I've confessed my pride to you. <laughs> so um, in Daniel 4, 5, and 6, we're going to learn all about what this means. Well, my verse for the year, so you might as well get used to it, is Micah 6.8, which we're going to get to in February. But I'm probably going to use this verse every single time I teach. I want you to read it with me. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6.8. That was a half-hearted attempt. Let's try it again. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? When we read about Jesus in the Gospels, they come to him and they say, um, they ask him a question about the law. And he says, you can sum up everything in the Old Testament by these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That is summed up in this verse. Because to act justly is to act justly to your neighbor. To love mercy is to be forgiving to your neighbor. And to walk humbly with your God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. So I got these three types of power from Ignatius of Loyola. 
Um, the first one is power and influence, and that's going to be represented today by King Nebuchadnezzar. The second is wealth and pleasure, and that's going to be represented by King Belshazzar. Honor and recognition is third, and King Darius and his appointed governors. We're going to talk about that. So the first one we have is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was all about power and influence. And in a way, my pride is like King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, because I have this nice bubble that I live in. He had what I call a Babylonian bubble. And everything was nice for him. And I have what I call my Bellevue bubble. Everything is nice for me. And so sometimes I get proud about that and I don't want it to change. But God is sovereign over all that, and he, if he bursts your bubble, then he's got a bigger, bigger plan for you. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn, because he, didn't, he had all of these gifts, but he didn't honor God. So let's, uh, if you have your Bible, open it to chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar to everyone, everywhere, every race, color, and creed. Peace and prosperity to all. It is my privilege to report to you the gracious miracles that the high God has done for me. So right at the beginning, we have that there, of his story that he's telling us there's a happy ending. That's the way I like to read books. I like books with happy endings, and Nebuchadnezzar has a happy ending story. He says his miracles are staggering, his wonders are surprising, his kingdom lasts and lasts, his sovereign rule goes on forever. At the end of my life, I want to be able to say this to my children. His miracles are staggering. His wonders are surprising. His kingdom lasts and lasts, and his sovereign rule goes on forever. And now he's going to tell his story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home taking it easy in my Babylonian bubble. Not a care in the world, but as I stretched out on my bed, I had a dream that scared me, a nightmare that shook me. I sent for all the wise men of Babylon so they could interpret the dream. Now he's going to tell them what he dreamed. Tell me what you dreamed, I'll tell you what it meant. Anybody know that line? Fiddle on the roof, okay. When they all assembled, the magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers, witches, I told them the dream, and no one could tell me what it meant. All right, so then Daniel comes in, and his Babylonian name is Belteshazzar, named after my God, a man full of the divine Holy Spirit. I told him my dream. Belteshazzar, I said, chief of the magic magicians, I know that you are a man full of the divine Holy Spirit, and there's no mystery you can't solve. Listen to this dream I had and interpret it for me. Now the king knows that Daniel is a wise man, so he turns to him. This is what I saw as I stretched out on my bed. I saw a big towering tree at the center of the world. As I watched, the tree grew huge and strong. The top reached the sky and could be seen from the four corners of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, enough food for everyone. Wild animals found shelter under it. Birds nested in its branches, every living thing was fed and sheltered by it. On Nebuchadnezzar's building, he describes himself as this tree. They have found evidence of that. <clears throat> and this also is what I saw as I stretched out on my bed. A holy watchman 
descending from heaven and calling out, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the animals from beneath it and shoot the birds from its branches, but leave a stump and root in the ground, belted with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow. Let him, now the tree becomes a him, be soaked in heaven's dew and take his meals with the animals that graze. Let him lose his mind and get an animal's mind in exchange and let him go for seven seasons. The holy angels announce this decree. The holy watchmen bring the sentence so that every living thing will know that the high God rules human kingdoms. He arranges kingdom affairs however he wishes and makes leaders out of losers. This is what I, Nebuchadnezzar, dreamed. It's your turn, Daniel. Interpret it for me. None of the wise men could do it. I want you to do it. At first, Daniel was upset because he cared about the king, and he's having to give the king bad news. The thoughts came swarming to his mind and terrified him. And, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar says, stay calm, stay calm. Don't let the dream or the interpretation scare you. Just tell me what it means. Daniel does not live in this Babylonian bubble. He is not afraid to risk himself to tell the truth to this king. Oh, my master, says Daniel, I wish this dream were about its, your enemies and its interpretation of your foes. The tree you saw that was so sturdy with the foliage and the animals, oh, king, you are that tree. You've grown great and strong and your royal majesty reaches sky high, and your sovereign rule stretches to the four corners of the world. But Daniel knows he is headed for suffering. The part about the holy angel descending from heaven, saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump and all that. He says, this is going to happen to you, and the high God has sentenced my master, the king. You're going to be driven away from human company and live with wild animals, and graze on grass like an ox. You'll be soaked in heaven's dew. And this is going to go on for seven seasons until you learn that the high God rules over human kingdoms and that he arranges all human affairs. There is a mental illness that is, make, that is described as people acting like an animal. But nothing robs you of your power and authority like suffering. Only God's grace and mercy in suffering can lead us to the peace that passes understanding. Now, uh, then Daniel says about the stump and the roots and what it means. So take my advice, king. Make a clean break with your sins and start living for others. Start acting justly. Start loving mercy. Start walking humbly with your God. When you quit your wicked life and look after the needs of the down and out, then you will continue to have a good life. You'll get your bubble back. So King Nebuchadnezzar's suffering could have been avoided. But many, many times our suffering is something that happens to us just because we're human. But in this case, he could have avoided it by listening to Daniel. And here's what's sad, that we as women and mothers and grandmothers sometimes have to endure. 
is that someone we love is taking a wrong course in their life. We love them, we pray for them, we can warn them, but then, like Daniel, we have to step back and let God do his work so that they come to the place where they will turn to God. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar just a year later. He's walking on the balcony of his royal palace, and he had built the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon. And he says, look at this, Babylon the Great. I have this bubble. I have this great bubble, just like my Bellevue bubble. Nice home, nice husband, nice friends, nice church. It's my Bellevue bubble. And he said, I built it all myself, and it displays my honor and glory. But the words were no sooner out of his mouth than the voice out of heaven said, your kingdom is taken from you, you're driven out, you're going to live with the wild animals and eat grass like an ox for seven seasons until you learn that the high God rules human kingdoms and puts whoever he wishes in charge. Isn't this a great picture? <laughs> it happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human company and ate grass like an ox and was soaked in heaven's dew. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a hawk. For those of you who know the story about Howard Hughes, he, the same thing happened to him. Okay, at the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. I was given my mind back and blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. His sovereign rule lasts and lasts. It never declines or falls. Life on this earth doesn't add up to much. My own bubble is nothing. Absolutely nothing. But God's heavenly army keeps everything going. That's where you want to live. No one can interrupt his work. No one can call his rule into question. Nebuchadnezzar's story ends with the Most High God. At the same time, I was given my, back my mind and my majesty and splendor, making my kingdom shine. All the leaders and important people came looking for me, and I reestablished as king in my kingdom and became greater than ever. And that's why I'm singing. He's singing and praising the God of heaven who does everything right and does it the right way. And he knows how to turn a proud person into a humble man or woman, from proud to humble. But what about Daniel? Daniel had power and influence. God gave him the power and influence, and he, at the same time, had compassion and gave warning. All right, Daniel chapter 4 is about power and influence. And now this story is going to, we're going to go into 5 and see how this mirror of scripture reflects another part of our pride, and that's the pride of wealth and pleasure. This is not going to have a happy ending. King Belshazzar had a great feast for his 1,000 nobles. Now, the Greek historians Herodotus and Xenophon both report that these orgies, revelries, they call them, uh, were filled with drunkenness and blasphemy. And that's what we're going to see today. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heavy with wine, ordered that the gold and silver chalices his father Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from God's temple of Jerusalem be brought in so that he and his nobles, wives, and concubines 
could drink for them. Now this is 23 years after the last story that I told you. When the gold and silver chalices were brought in, the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them, and they drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and iron, wood and stone. At that very moment, the fingers of a human hand appear and begin writing on the lamp-illumined, whitewashed wall. And the king saw this hand writing, and he went white as a ghost. And his legs were trembling, his knees were knocking, and he yelled out, where's the enchanters, the fortune tellers, the magicians, have them come in. I have to know what this handwriting means. He told uh, the Magi, anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich, a purple robe, a golden chain, and be third in command in the kingdom. But nobody could tell him what that hand had written. One after another, they tried, but they couldn't. And so now the king, the blood drained from his face, was in a panic. But the queen hears about what's going on, and she comes in. And she says, Darius, don't be upset. There's a man in your kingdom who's full of the divine Holy Spirit. And during your father's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. He was so good that your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him head of everybody. There's no one like him. He can do anything. So call him in. His name is Daniel. I want you to note that here's a woman who uses her power and influence for good. She was at the right time, at the right place. She wasn't in with them partying. She was there to be a warning to them. I like this picture because when my husband and I were newly married, we went to... Shorey's bookstore in downtown Seattle. Some of you might remember it. And we found a book in this all its Gustav Doré uh, sketches in there, and we always loved that one. So Daniel is called in. The king says, are you Daniel, who's one of the Jewish exiles, full of the Holy Spirit? If you can tell me what this dream means, I'm going to dress you in purple clothing, give you a golden chain, and give you rule over a third of the kingdom. Well, <laughs> you have to read it and interpret to me. But Daniel says... He does not live in this bubble that Darius is in of wealth and pleasure. He says, you can keep your gifts and give them to somebody else, but I'll read the writing to the, for the king and tell him what it means. Listen, O king, the high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom, and then he reminds Darius of that story of what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar and how he went out and ate grass like an ox, but God restored him. He said, but you didn't learn anything from that. And you have, you are his son, and you have known all this, and you're as arrogant as he ever was. Look at you, he says, you have set yourself up in competition with the master of heaven. You had the sacred chalices of his temple brought in so that your nobles could drink from them, you use the sacred chalices to toast your gods, blind, deaf, and dumb, imbecile gods. But you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death 
in his hand. The hand of God holds each of us from conception to death. It's his story. It's his hand. And since he held him in contempt, God reveals himself with his hand. God sent the hand that wrote on the wall, and this is what is written, many, many, tickle, parson. And this is what they mean, many. God has numbered the days of your rule, and they don't add up. Tickle, you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and handed over to the Medes and Persians. When my grandmother died, nobody missed her. But I wept tears of sorrow for what might have been. She might have been a woman of power and influence for good. But she lived a fantasy life of wealth and pleasure. And so when she died, she had no honor or recognition. Then Belshazzar gave the order, and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed the chain on his neck, and said he'd be cured in the kingdom. But that night, the Babylonian king, Belshazzar, was murdered. Darius the Mede was 62 years old when he succeeded him as king. Nebuchadnezzar had a happy story. This king did not have a happy story. But now, on to Darius. In the lion's den, Daniel in the lion's den, and this is about the pride of wanting honor and recognition. Say the verse with me again. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Darius organizes his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors, three vice regents, and one of them was Daniel. Daniel brimmed with intelligence, and so pretty soon he's put over all the kingdom. And what does this do? It causes jealousy. Jealousy among the other people that are supposed to be ruling with him. And so it sets up political intrigue that sounds like your morning news source. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him. But they couldn't dig up anything. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. Daniel is persecuted because he lives a blameless life. His blamelessness is powerful, and he's going to risk everything to stand up for what is right. So the first thing these do, people do is they go to the king, and they are going to lie to him because they're going to say, we all made this decision, but it's not the truth because Daniel was not there. So when Daniel prays, he is talking to the king of heaven, and he's going to get in trouble for praying to the king of heaven. Um, and Jesus also prayed, and we get to uh, overhear some of Jesus' prayers. His most famous one that everybody knows about, well, besides the Lord's Prayer, um, is when he's in the garden, and he's facing his crucifixion, and he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in essence, this is what is going to happen to Daniel and what he is going to pray. 
So they go to the king and they say, oh, live forever. They appeal to his pride. We've given your vice, uh, convened your vice regents, governors, all your leading officials, and have agreed uh, that the king should follow, make the following decree. No one can pray to anybody but you, O king, uh, and anybody who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. So we want your king to make this a law. And so the king says, oh, this appeals to my pride, so I'll do it. So I was thinking about these men and about the sin of pride uh, that they had, and the pride was jealousy. And I have experienced jealousy in my life. Um, it, it was somebody who um, should have known better, but I saw her misbehave, and then she was exalted by everybody else, and everybody praised her. And I thought I was better than her, because I would never have done what she did. <laughs> so, so I was jealous of her. But the Lord was so gracious to me, and that he was patient with me, and revealed to me my jealousy. So this is, these are mirrors that we have to hold up to ourselves. So they appealed to their pride. And when Daniel learned the decree that had been signed, he continued to pray just as he's always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising God. So he's up in his room at the open window facing Jerusalem, and he's praying out loud. And his conspirators come, and they find him praying and asking God for help. And then they're going to go straight to the king. But I uh, think that I know what Daniel prayed. Because Christina said that the book in Dan of Daniel is linked with the Psalms. So Daniel knew the Psalms. And this is what I believe he prayed that morning as he faced Jerusalem. Psalm 5. He's so upset and he says, Give ears to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. His soul is in anguish. He's going to be thrown into the lions because he's not going to worship King Darius. Listen to my cry for help. My king and my God, for to you I pray. Listen, you guys down here. I'm praying to my king and my God. I'm not going to do what you said. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. I know who you are, and you, God, are going to answer my prayers in one way or another, just like Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. They hate all who do wrong. These people, right outside my window, they hate all that do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. These men have been liars. Bloodthirsty, deceitful men, the Lord of horrors, wanting to send me to the lion's den and anybody else who didn't worship Darius. But I, by your mercy, and here Daniel appeals to the mercy of God. He knows he himself has sinned. And he says, by your mercy, you're going to help me. This is when we show mercy to others, we show this characteristic of God. By your mercy, I will come into your house. I don't live in my bubble. I live in your house. 
In reverence I bow down towards you, toward your holy temple. Lead me, O God, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your ways before me. I don't know how this is going to end up, but you do, and make my way straight before you. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongue, with their tongue, they speak evil. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Now he's giving them an opportunity to come and take refuge into, with God, with him, with Daniel. All who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Daniel's whole, when he started, he sang, give ears to my words, consider my sign. And now he has the peace of God and he is singing with joy. Spread your protection over them, the protection that he is now feeling, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Once I had a friend come to me and say, the doctor told me I only have a few months to live. And I said to her, how can I pray for you? And she said, pray for peace. A few months later, later, I was at her deathbed, and she was having that death breathing where you go, ah, and her eyes are fixed. And I started reading to her from her Bible things that she had underlined from John 14. And then her family came, and I went out to the parking lot to get in my car. And all of a sudden, I felt peace that I had never experienced before in my life. And I thought, Lord, you are showing me what she's feeling. And I loved it. And this is what Daniel is now feeling, this peace. Let all who take refuge in you be glad, glad, joy, protection, love, rejoice. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. Now these conspirators are not going to repent. So they go to the king and they say, didn't you sign a decree for, beginning, for forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except for the, for the next 30 days? And anyone who's caught doing so will be thrown the lion's den? Absolutely, says the king. Ah, uh, then they say, Daniel ignores you, O king, and defies your decree. Three times a day he prays, so they bring Daniel in. But the king is so upset, he tries his best to get Daniel out of the fix he had put him in. He worked at it all day, but the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it's your law that you signed that can never be changed. So the king caved in and ordered Daniel to be brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, your God whom you are so loyal is going to get you out of this. And then a stone slab was placed over the opening of the den, and the king sealed it with his ring, fixing Daniel's fate. But the king went back to his palace and refused to eat. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, he got up and hurried to the lion's den, and he called out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? 
Oh, king, live forever, says Daniel. My God sent his angel who caused the mouths of the lions so they would not hurt me. According to my granddaughter, the lions ordered out for pizza. <laughs> I guess that was vegetables. Oh, king, live forever. The lions didn't hurt me. I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I have done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. And when he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded the conspirators who informed on Daniel be thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> Darius published this proclamation to every race, color, and creed. Peace be to you. Abundant peace. Two times. Peace and abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He's the living God, world without end. His kingdom never falls. Darius even knows his bubble will probably fall, but he's going to trust in God's kingdom, the, the kingdom that never falls. He rules eternally. He is savior and rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and earth. Sounds just like what Nebuchadnezzar said. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. From then on, Daniel was treated well during the reign of Darius and also the following reign of Cyrus the Persian. So what does the Lord require of you? Say it with me. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, 8. So this is the mirror that these chapters hold up to us. Are we living in a bubble of power and influence? God wants to take that pride away from us. Or wealth and pleasure? God wants to take that away from us so that we will live with him. Honor and recognition. King Darius and his appointed governors learned that lesson. Um, and we learn it too because when God removes our pride, he tells us, the Apostle Paul, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also decided to be conformed to the image of his son. And what does his son do? He acts justly, he loves mercy, and he walked humbly with his God. And that is our mirror on pride. And now, Sandy, did you have an announcement? I was so excited that I finished this by 10 o'clock. Oh, Sandy, they can't hear you. You're going to have to. What, what do we. Okay. Hold up your table numbers. When the students come in, they'll look for the numbers. Okay, so the tables are going to. You hold up your number when the students come in, and they will look for the number. Okay? All right. Is that it, Sandy? All right, you're dismissed. Thank you so much for coming today.